Welcome to the Recession Resistant Real Estate Radio, where we talk about real estate, passive investing, business strategies, and so much more. I'm your host, Brandon Cobb, CEO of HPG Capital. Now let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, Brandon Cobb with HBG Capital here. Thanks for tuning in. And in today's episode, I want to go over how to control risk for development projects, whether you're building a multifamily, single family, exactly what you can do and the steps you can take to make sure that you don't get caught with your pants down. I'm actually going to tell some stories on specific steps that we're taking today right now in our business to control a lot of the different risks out there. You've got inflation, rising construction costs, supply chain issues, things are getting more expensive, interest rates are going up. There's a lot there and we've done a what I feel like is a pretty good job of mitigating a lot of the unknowns out there. But before we jump in, if you have been somebody who's been interested in learning more about receiving passive income direct to your bank account secured by recession-resistant real estate, please reach out to us, schedule a call, head on over to hbgcapital.net. We would love to get to know you. All right, before we jump in, if you like this content, you feel like it helps, please hit the subscribe button. Please leave us a review. They help out tremendously. All right, jumping in today. So we've got three different risks when it comes to development. Risk number one is performance risk. This is whether or not you can actually execute on the project. Risk number two is market risk. What are prices going to do while I'm building this thing? And the third is time risk. And this plays into market risk a little bit because the more your project is out on the market or being built, the more risk it has for fluctuations in the economy and price points. So we're going to dive into all three of these today. And I want to start with performance risk because this is probably the biggest one. I know a lot of people have this idea that building houses is very, very risque. Doing development is very, very risque. And I think a lot of this stems from 2008 and 2009 when that was probably the worst time period ever for the single family or real estate in general, that entire economy right there really took a plunge. And so a lot of people have it in the back of their heads. Wow, a lot of builders and developers went out of business back then. Development must be really risky. And it's just simply not true. If you're living in a home today and that home has been around for a while, chances are that was a very successful development. So most of them are living in most uh, mostly successful developments. And if you're not Um, that sucks. Hopefully you can find one that works for you. So let's talk about performance risk and how to mitigate that because a lot of developers and a lot of builders, the reality is they're not perfect in every trade. See, it takes, gosh, probably 25 plus trades to build a home. And that builder doesn't have time to become an expert in one specific trade. So it relies on its subcontractor base to be able to perform, whether that's doing the HVAC system or moving the dirt around to get it to match the blueprints and what we need to be able to put the roads and the infrastructure in. So first way to mitigate risk for performance is Hire good subcontractors. Easier said than done, though. How do you do that? Specifically, what we do is we want to look at track record. So if we're looking at a sub to move the dirt around, which, you know, I would argue is the most important thing is getting the infrastructure right because your homes are going to go on top of that. I want to see some developments that they've done. Give me some specific names. Give me some referrals. If you haven't done at least five plus developments that are similar to the one that you're bidding right now, I don't want to use you. I want to talk to the builder. I want to talk to who hired you to do that work. I want to talk to the developer, whoever paid the bills on that. And I want to get a good referral from that person. That is the best 
the best step you can take is doing your homework on all your subcontractors, getting background tests on them. Not a lot of people do that. If they've got a criminal track record, chances are there's a reason for it. You probably don't want to work with that person. Another step we take to control performance is the vertical integration piece. What happened with a lot of developers and investors back in 2008, 2009 was they'd hired builders to build all their projects. Well, all those builders went belly up or they bit off more that they could chew or they decided to retire. And all of a sudden they were stuck with a giant portfolio and they were scrambling. Everybody was going out of business and they couldn't finish their projects and the notes caught up to them and the banks had to repossess everything. As you know, it was a big disaster. So we control everything in house and we do that because we don't want to be reliant on some third party vendor to execute on all of our projects. We want to control everything in-house. Now, I will tell you, we are uh, experimenting with potentially hiring some other builders to manage some larger developments that we have. That way, we don't have to grow too fast. But if we did hire that builder, we know that the worst case scenario is we have to let them go and fire them and we can take over the project ourselves. And we can also control it from a point where we're already checking on projects every single day. And while we might not be managed or, or in the day-to-day processes of managing the subs for that new development, we know that we can check in every single day and make sure things are running smoothly and take that project over if need to. So worst case scenario, something happens to the builder, we can take it over and keep it rocking rolling. That is a huge benefit to being vertically integrated. All good points to control your number one uh, risk, which is going to be your performance risk. The next big risk you have is market risk. This is where prices go up and down and fluctuate. You wonder, am I going to be able to sell this thing? Am I going to be able to get it, my money out with a lot more money than what I put into it, or am I going to get less money out than what I put into it? And there's a lot of stuff that we can't control here, but there are a few things that we can. The number one best way to control market risk is to buy it right. I can't stress that enough. Did you hear that? Buy it right. Let me give you an example of a killer deal that we did that I'm I'm just super excited about. If I could change where every single deal we did was exactly like this deal, I would do it. We had a piece of land that had roughly, um, I don't even know how many acres it is, but it uh, it had a home on it, and this uh, home was worth some money. It was in decent shape, and I think we were buying the land for I don't know somewhere around six hundred thousand dollars. I think. And the home was probably worth, uh, you know, maybe 300000 something like that. But we were able to get the acreage around the home rezoned for, I think it was like 50 homes or something like that, maybe 55 houses, which was huge. It increased the value of the land, but it came with this house on it. And we're, we subdivided the land where the home was only on like an acre and a half. And we ended up selling that home for you know three hundred thousand dollars, and then we were all into this land that we bought for six hundred for three hundred thousand dollars, and it's approved for fifty five homes. There's essentially n- almost no risk there. There's about three hundred thousand dollars worth of risk, which is all equity that's just baked into the property with a piece of land that's probably worth you know two million dollars or something like that. So buying deals and getting creative is going to be a huge part of protecting yourself from any downside events. You want to mitigate as much as possible, and you do that by buying it 
right. Having as little money in the deal as possible. I know it's easier said than done, but believe me, there are deals out there. They do exist, especially if you go off market and direct to seller, which is what we pretty much do with everything that we, uh, that we buy. So make sure you're buying it right. Make sure there's plenty of equity. Next are mul having multiple exits. So biggest mistake I see people make when not managing market risk is being tied into one plan. And one of the things that I really love about development is there's so many points to exit a project in a lifetime. So you might have a two-year development project where you're building 46 townhomes and you're going to spend the first six months doing the dirt work infrastructure. And then you're going to um, spend the next roughly, I don't know, year and a half uh, building and selling them in phases, if you will. So what I love about development is there's so many exit points along the life of the project, which allows for liquidity and for you to, to, to basically get in and out, depending on what the market is allowing. So if you feel a shift coming, you can get ahead of it by exiting. Let me give you an example of this. So your first exit in a development project is when you actually have the land entitled. And this is by far the, the lowest risk exit because what we're doing is we're putting this land under contract contingent on rezoning it and getting the value. And we are coming out of pocket some costs, you know, maybe, maybe thirty, forty thousand $40,000, maybe, maybe a little bit more upwards of 70 if it's a really big project to get all the entitlements done. That's the civil, the survey, the stormwater, all the things the city wants to see to check the boxes to approve the rezone. And so what we'll do is we actually won't buy it because that would be way too much risk in buying something that could potentially not get rezoned. We'll do all that and then we'll close on it after we get all the entitlements and everything in place. One of the things you can do to mitigate risk is while you're doing all this, you could go find another buyer in the you know four or five months that you're doing this due diligence on it, doing all the work, putting all the sweat equity into it for your seller, helping them increase the value of their land. You could go find a buyer. And so when you get all the entitlements in place, you literally either just sell the contract to them or just double close on it, buy it and then immediately sell it to your new buyer. That way you don't have a lot of your money or your investor's money locked up in this project for a really long period of time. Um, we love these. We're working on a few of these deals right now. We're, we're, um, you know, unless you know something changes, we're probably just going to end up, you know, selling to a, uh, a larger developer that's going to, you know, pull the project across the finish line and make the city's uh, vision a reality. So that's one of the best ways to mitigate risk is do all of your due diligence on the project and get it ready to hand off to somebody right after you close. So that's exit number one. Exit number two, you could actually go through with it, buy it, and then do raise the money for all of the horizontal and then execute the infrastructure in the project to get it vertical ready. And you could sell the individual lots off. It doesn't actually doesn't take too long to do this, especially for, you know, smaller development projects. If you're building 100, 200, 400 homes, you know, that's a little bit different story. But for a small, medium sized builder, this is very manageable to do in a pretty short period of time. Your dirt work can take as, you know, low as eight weeks, um, you know, all the way up to, you know, maybe four or five months, depending on how big the project is. And at that point, you can actually sell those lots off to another builder. And again, if you've bought it right and you've controlled your costs, 
you should have profit on each lot that you sell to a builder. And you might get bought off by, uh, by a bigger builder that wants to take it all down. We've, we've had some approach us and they're very interested in some of the stuff that we're working on and they want to buy us out. So that's another exit. That's exit number two is actually doing the land development and selling the lots off to somebody else. And then exit number three, you take the project all the way through. Let's say you've gotten to this stage. You don't see the market cooling off. You don't see anything crazy coming. You're not feeling any pressure. Hey, go ahead and build the project. You can do that. This is probably the part that takes the least amount of time and, uh, and is the least risky is actually building uh, and selling the homes. And you want to make sure that you have, again, multiple exit strategies here. So uh, everything that we underwrite is around building and selling to the consumer, but we could also refinance out, pull all the money out and set them up as these build to rent products because we're targeting first time home buyers and these very affordable uh, product asset classes. We've got the ability to cash flow and have a really good long term rental asset. That's another very important tool that you have in the time that things turn is being able to turn that product into a different product type and serve a different customer so that you're not pigeonholed into just selling to a consumer. Now, another exit strategy that has really gotten popular lately is selling to build to rent hedge funds. Now, I, I, I wouldn't put all my eggs in this basket and count on this because when you have one buyer for something, they can just change their mind like that. Uh, and that's, that's pretty risky, but they're paying more than individual consumers would for the houses after they have a stabilized portfolio. So you can't ignore this at all because it is another buyer that didn't used to exist for your development projects. Another way that we reduce risk, having lots of options available to us. The next piece of market risk that I want to cover is price. And this is really important because market risk is all about can you get your money back out of the project plus some or are you going to take a hit? And it's really important to build a very big equity cushion for yourself and your investors. We don't underwrite anything unless it's under 70% loan to value. We feel like that's a pretty good metric. If you talk to a lot of lenders out there, uh, you know, in the hard money space, they're usually pretty conservative. That 70% LTV is kind of the industry standard because we know that things would have to decline pretty rapidly in a very short period of time for that equity buffer to disappear. I mean, we're talking about another cataclysmic event. Some markets didn't even have this back in 2008 and 2009. And some took, you know, with higher priced homes like California and New York and certain areas of Florida, they had even bigger dips than this. But the whole idea is to get as much equity in the project as possible. And this goes back to the very first risk, which is um, buying it right. Make sure you buy it right. If you can get creative and buy these things right, I'm a big fan of owner finance, um, not buying everything until you have all your due diligence in place. This can really set you up for success by adding a lot of equity in your project. Okay, finally, third final risk is time risk. Um, well, hang on. Already covered time risk. Just kidding. We're already talking about time risk. This is... Uh, we covered 70% loan to value. We covered, um, oh, another aspect of time risk is building straightforward products. So we're building cookie cutter townhomes and single family homes. We're not in the business of building a 14,000 uh, square foot home. What this does is it allows us to move 
from home to home very quickly. The subcontractors already know what needs to be done. The muscle memory, if you will, to build that home is the same and consistent across the entire development of the neighborhood. This allows for speed and Quite frankly, it just reduces the amount of mistakes. When you're building the same thing over and over again, as opposed to building something different, then it becomes a whole lot easier to build and there's a whole lot less mistakes. And these more affordable products are, the uh, the materials are a lot easier to get. There's no specialized materials with a that needs some kind of special ordering that's going to take months and months and months. So that is how you mitigate time risk. Um, if you found this helpful, please leave us a review. We live, breathe, and eat off of reviews for this platform. If this was beneficial or might be beneficial to someone you know, please share it with them. Um, like and subscribe. This is Brandon signing off. It was great being with you guys today. Till next time.